The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Two Point Conversation Football Talk for Fans by Fans right here on the network at bicbp-radio.com. My name is Matt Johnson, whatever host alongside with me as per usual for the film room. The one, the only Mr. Brian Finch, happy as can be. AFC East champs are his Buffalo Bills for the second year in a row. Congratulations. I know you're in a pretty good mood. In a good mood, but um, anxious anxious to actually earn it uh, next week when I'm there in person. Absolutely, absolutely. They got a big one. Uh, we have a special episode for you, everybody. We are interviewing, as promised, uh, quarterback J.T. O'Sullivan. Uh, bounced around the league for, for many years, had a lengthy career, and he has a really great YouTube channel called The QB School. Uh, we've learned a lot from it. We've taken a lot from it, and we are looking forward to, um, you know, perhaps just 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 learning what we can, picking his brain and talking a little bit about his NFL career. Uh, yeah, get, dude, he's he's awesome. He's 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 an awesome dude. Like I, I listen to his, his his stuff in the background uh, at work, just soaking it all in as much as I can. So uh, we're we're very very grateful for this opportunity. Uh, but first and foremost, before we get to the interview, we have a ton of news to talk about. A ton of news. Black Monday. It happened. It uh, and my God, uh, a lot more surprises than I thought mm-hmm. we were gonna get. Probably the yeah. I. So basically, the rundown is this. All right, we did. We discussed the Vic Fangio firing on yesterday's episode. Uh, Mike Zimmer, mm-hmm. which was surprising yet not so surprising. Um, probably more so on the not so surprising end, but it was like 50 50. Uh, been there for a long time. He gone. The general manager, I can't remember his name. Rise, what is it? Rick Spielman. Spielman. That's what it was. That's what it was. Uh, he gone. All right. Uh, for the Bears. Matt Nagy, he gone. Also, the sky is blue. Uh, Ryan Pace, general manager for the Bears, he gone. He gone. gone. Uh, Let's see. Who else did we lose? Oh, and the biggest surprise of all. I might be missing one, but the biggest surprise of all. And I do not agree with this at all. The Dolphins cutting head coach, Brian Flores. I am... You know, I was really rooting for Miami to kind of make a bit of a turnaround, but um, this was, I, I don't get it. I, I really, truly don't get it. I'm incredibly like disappointed in, in, in what they got, what happened today. Well, of what I've been able to gather from different people tweeting on this firing of Flores and trying to make sense of it, the biggest falling out, I guess, happened between it's it's the handling of Tua, and then it's also the 
OC and the direction of the offense and how to move the offense going forward. And I think it also has to do with a report that came out many months ago. In fact, it may have been over the summer of their owner, Ross, who would love to bring in Harbaugh from Michigan. He denied it. He's a Michigan alum. He donates a lot of money to Michigan. So if he pulls his own head coach from his, you know, um, alma mater, alma, uh, alma mater, uh, today junior, <laughs> he, <laughs> he will be helping his professional team. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Harbaugh is better than Flores, but he, Bro, think I want Brian. I would trade. I, okay, I said this earlier on Facebook. I love, love, love the person of Frank Reich. Uh, and I don't want to completely blame this this year on him. There's a lot, but I would take Brian Flores on that coach and staff in a heartbeat. Maybe, maybe at the most trade <laughs> switch. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I, I think that Flores it just brings this, this edginess to – to his teams. I, I don't, I don't know what or what, what it is, but I, I really, I really enjoyed watching the Miami dolphins play football over the last three years, whether it be that right. The, the, the Fitzpatrick era, um, you know, the brief, the, the brief Fitzpatrick era, whether it be uh, you know, it, it, the transition to Tua, I've really, really enjoyed watching Miami dolphin football the last couple of years. And it's been a while since I've been able to say that. I, I mean, as a bills fan, I'm going to be biased and say, no, oh, take the buy, take the Bills cap off, and uh, come on, take it off. I didn't watch enough Miami Dolphin games that didn't involve the Buffalo Bills for me to have a full-on concrete opinion on the direction of the Miami Dolphins with Tua as quarterback and Flora as a head coach and forecasted it to 2022. And, like, just by you know, restocking and coming back with the same guys, is that going to get you over the top? And I don't think Flores deserved to get the cut, but at the same time, he did bring in Tua. I mean, he's part of that selection, right? Uh, he did trade away Minka Fitzpatrick for multiple first-round picks, and Minka's just gone on to continue to be an all-pro, and that doesn't seem like a great decision at this point. Right. They used a six-round pick to trade, or they used a first-round pick to trade up six spots in the first round. So like a lot of these things is GM related. So I'll, how about this? Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm like, I'm more confused about not that Flores was fired, it's, but more confused that it's not Flores and the GM out. I think Greer's his name. I believe Greer's yeah, his name. Greer, yeah. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not a fan. I was, my jaw dropped when I seen that yeah. today. It was rumored yet last night. I'm like, there's no way there's, there's no way in heck that that's going to happen. And uh, lo and behold, it did. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, you do have a game, though, today, right? We got a little game before we get going with JT. It is a, it is a fun game, very in what we are talking about right now. We're going to play a little mix and match, and we're only allowed to use the GMs that were fired and the head coaches that were fired. And you, you have to move them from one team and put them on a new team. I right? have so to? 
You have to use it. This is how this game works. You're a monster. No, I, I want no new coaches. You are these a monster. Are all, these are all, all retread coaches that you need to bring in, all right, and, and assign to another team. So we'll start with the easiest one, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So you have Vic Fangio, right? You have Mike Zimmer. You have Flores. You have Matt Nagy. Oh, my God. And you have Urban Meyer. <laughs> is, wait, is John Gruden eligible? Is John Gruden eligible? Do we want to include John Gruden into this and bring the Raiders? I was trying to just leave it to these five teams. No, that's fair. That's probably for the best for okay. everything. So you, you need to fill the Jaguars head coaching position with one of these fired coaches. Who are you bringing in? <laughs> 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 You're a monster. I, you know, what? I think Mike Zimmer. I, I would, I would put a Mike Zimmer there. Okay. I think that's. I mean, he's probably just tapped out. But for the sake of this game, worse situation. But warm weather. I feel like that's like the perfect, like uh, the the perfect spot for him to kind of go to. Kind of like, okay, he's he's over the hit, maybe over the hill in his coaching career. Let's see what we can do with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think I like that because I couldn't think of, of all the coaches that, that are on this short list of five, uh, what one I would pick out to put in to completely change the culture. I think I trust Zimmer the most. So I'm with you on that one. Okay. Cause it needs a culture change. Yeah. There isn't enough accountability on that team. I think that was the biggest issue of urban Meyer. There's just, you know, no real accountability because urban just did whatever he wanted. I'm like, you you need to hold yourself more accountable than any of your players. So yeah, hey, you know what they should do though. You know what they should do though. Um, they should wear clown costumes all the time for the games because they get superpowers apparently, yeah. and uh, can knock out teams with better records than them. Clown costumes all day, Duval, yeah. whatever they, they say down there. They, they knocked off the Bills and and the Colts, and that's no small feat in my opinion. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> We we got the Jags head coach figured out. Good, good. Uh, now we're on to the Dolphins, who got rid of Flores, who is definitely a more defense. A lot of defensive coaches lost their jobs. Um, Matt Nagy is that weird? Stand out as the offense. He's the only offensive minded guy that I I can think of. Uh yeah, I I think you're actually right about that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So a lot of defensive shift. I, I, yeah, it, it was interesting. Very interesting. Who do you want here? Do you want Fangio? Do you want Nagy going to the dolphins? To the dolphins? Yeah. Can, uh, can Brian Flores go back? No, <laughs> this is horseshit. Nor would he want to. <laughs> You know what? Honestly, uh, okay. Honestly, for firing Brian Flores, they can have Matt Nagy. <laughs> the punishment. I love it. Uh, okay, so now we'll move on to the Bears. Uh, they also need an, a head coach uh, because they got rid of Matt Nagy, who you just sent to the Dolphins. So are they getting Fangio? Are they getting um, Flores? Who, who are they getting here? Um, 
there's a part of me that wants to give them Flores, but uh, I want to see him do well. So I'm going to give him Fangio. I'm going to give him Fangio. Fangio's, I mean, decent defensive mind, uh, I would say. I, I would definitely say. And maybe, I don't think he's a culture fit there in Chicago. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, saving, I'm saving Flores for, for one, one, well, one place. I, I think you just uh, picked out, a, you know, division rivals, which is cool. Um, and he knows the Bears better than the Bears know themselves. Or, or I'm sorry, the Vikings better than the Vikings know themselves. So gives the Bears the upper hand there. True. Uh, let's go to Skull Nation now. Who are we giving them for their head coach? You can either give them Flores, or you can give them. Um, you can give them Flores, or you can give them Vic Fangio. No, you just give it Fangio. I just gave. Yeah. Bears. Who did? I'm turning myself around. Oh, Urban Meyer. You can either give the Vikings Urban Meyer or you can give them. Uh... No, I'm good on that. Um, I'm going to give them Flores. I think Flores brings a, uh, a, a nice, a, a nice edge to any team he goes to. I, I really, I really do. I mean, obviously this is not going to pan out that way, but uh, the, the, I feel like he could get that culture back on track. I do believe that. I think I like that. Uh, the most just this strictly on the fact that you know he he desperately wanted Ryan Fitzpatrick to work out you know what I mean he loved the idea of that veteran quarterback so now he's got it in Kirk Cousins coach up that defense get him back on track so I, I get that so the Broncos get stuck with Urban Meyer is that what you're telling me that's their punishment for punt for letting Vic Fangio punt. <laughs> that who would you give him? Who would you? Who would you? How would you work this and give? Who would you give them? All right, I would have given the Dolphins Urban Meyer because I hate the Dolphins. I actually, I'll be honest with you, I completely forgot that Urban Meyer was eligible for this discussion when I picked it when I wanted to curse the Dolphins. So. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Uh, no, it's fine. It, it works the same for Matt Nagy. They're both um, guys that are in over their heads. I mean, is, is Matt Nagy really that bad, though? Did you see the teams that he took to the postseason? The, the 2020 Bears team was a fun-ish team with Mitchell Trubisky. You know? 2018, they won the division. Yeah. Yeah, they did. So he made the playoffs two times in four years, and he still got fired. What do you have to do in the NFL nowadays to keep your job? Yeah. I don't know. Good question. It's a good question. That's why if you are a fan of a team, always know that your own owner is your biggest enemy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. That's the game. I don't need to finish. That's the game. It was a fun little one, a little different. I like that. I like that a bunch. I was like, how can we can we find a scenario where any of these retread, if these coaches get retreaded, which one of them is successful? And it's Flores. That was the, pre- that, you know. It, but it, oh, he's going to be, if if a team is willing to, to, to automatically just put him in their system yeah. or make him change their system, they're going to be all right. They're going to be all right. Who, who is the next coach you think that will lose his job? 
Uh, there's rumors about Cauley, which I'm a little surprised about after one year, considering what he's done with that roster and the salary cap woes that Houston's had to overcome. Uh, I don't agree with that one either if it's to come to fruition, but I think we might be done. Yeah. I think we might be done with the firings, which good. Um, uh, we've had more than enough excitement in that department. Well, maybe you guys could throw Frank right out if you wanted. I don't think it will hurt you. Honestly, I love Frank too. Obviously, as a Bills fan and everything he did for the city, and he's a stand-up dude. But as far as head coaching decisions and and having the balls to to win, maybe you're right, man. Maybe maybe Frank doesn't have it. Right. And and Flores, I think, can. He can. He just has not had the right supporting cast. I I think. I think. He just wouldn't be upgrading at quarterback again. Right. That's. Kind of a lateral move in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. Dude, let's talk. Let's let's talk to a real life NFL vet. What do you think? Absolutely. Let's get them. Uh, let's get them all locked and loaded up. So everybody, let's hop on over and uh, we'll let's let's chat with our man, JT O'Sullivan. All right, everybody. We are absolutely honored to be joined by a former NFL quarterback and the creator of the QB school on YouTube, uh, as well as Patreon. And of course his own website, the QB school.com. Uh, JT O'Sullivan is joining us. JT, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we, we both greatly appreciate it. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk some ball. Abs- no, absolutely. I I've been following your youtube channel for some time now and and when we wanted to start getting invested in film study i'm like man i really want to talk to this i really want to talk with you uh you've had a busy high school you know high school coaching season and uh i'm just glad we got to connect after the holidays hope those were all good for you yeah yeah i know fall felt like a blur and slow motion all at the same time so (laughs) sure just same as everybody else going through this craziness but yeah it feels good to uh settle into a a new year. Happy holidays. Uh, happy new year to y'all. And uh, let's get it going. Finish this thing off right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, you are a first time guest on the show. So you, we got to run you through the ringer just a little bit. Uh, just some just some questions. So, so our listeners who may not be familiar with you just kind of get to know you on a personal level. Uh, first and foremost, and this could be I don't know if you have one now, but maybe before you are in, in the National Football League, uh, your favorite NFL team. Uh, I grew up going to 49er training camp. So uh, definitely the 49ers was heartbroken when they moved from Rockland to a training camp down in Stockton, which is more of a little Central Valley out here in California. So definitely grew up a 49er fan. But first game I ever went to was a was still living in L.A. at the time, went to a Raiders Denver game in the Coliseum. So that was certainly eye opening as far as uh, language you can hear. I still remember vividly vividly sitting behind someone uh with a denver bronco hat on and it had a pile of fake dog poop on the top of it and when i'm talking about them yelling shithead at this cat all game and me just being fascinated with the it being so funny in elementary school it was uh, it was quite the process so what any west coast california team is uh is my background i got you okay very cool yeah it's an exciting way to uh yeah nfl fans are, are wonderful aren't they um oh, Raider fans. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true too. Uh your earliest football fan memory. Oh. 
It's a good one. I definitely remember watching like NBC uh, Notre Dame games. That's probably like my first like, oh, this could be fun to do. Like Tony Rice, late 80s uh, Notre Dame, okay. uh, the Rocket more than anything else. And then just like front yard football, I think was my uh, kind of experience with ball where I remember being like, oh, this is a lot of fun, whether it's, you know, with the neighborhood, whether it's with my pops, whatever it is, just uh, spinning it around. Okay. Very good. Very good. And uh, lastly, just some of your favorite players of all time, you know, maybe just people who inspired you to, you know, to, to get involved you know, as much as you have, or, or just, just, yeah, just people you just love to watch. Yeah. Uh, I would say when, once I start getting, getting into it, like uh, in a little bit more of a significant approach to ball, I think I fell in love with guys like uh, Steve Young, Rich Gannon was probably right when he was playing at his peak was probably where I was most interested in kind of learning as much as I possibly could. So I tried to not necessarily pattern myself after those guys, but just enjoyed watching those guys operate with uh, kind of the precision that they operate at from the quarterback back in the day, kind of before it was cool to uh, be so quarterback friendly. I felt like those guys were uh, kind of the trendsetters and where the league has evolved towards. Absolutely. Some great names, some absolute great names. Love to hear it. Um, but yeah, so you created this QB school, the, the QB school brand, you know, uh, within the last few years, right? I believe 2018, you got it all fired up. Uh, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, what, what made you decide to, to kind of, I guess, I guess give back uh, a little bit to, you know, football players, you know, starting football players, football coaches, football fans. What, what was your decision that, that made you want to, uh, to, to do that? Because, I mean, I've learned so much from this channel. It's really fun. I love the, uh, the, the Turkey Day playbook video. That was one of my favorite ones. I haven't had a chance to use it quite yet, but I, I was just like, man, this is, this is great stuff. And you, you do such a good job just breaking it down so anybody can understand it. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I do. Uh, The genesis of it was more, uh, I just got done with grad school and was basically went from writing a dissertation to having this time on my hands. And I had kind of taken a pseudo sabbatical from ball uh, going back to grad school and didn't really watch it or care about it or pay attention to it. And so was not necessarily missing it per se, but just saying, hey, do I want to potentially get back into it in some medium, whether it's coaching, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's, you know, insert anything in there. And so I was realizing that, you know, geez, I'm watching YouTube a lot, like more than anything else. And uh, talking, my brother was in this podcast space. And so he was kind of like, you know, think about doing a podcast and we could do, maybe you could do video. And I'm like, well, I dig YouTube and there's no, uh, the other part about it was, I I didn't want to do something like, I feel like in the broadcast world, there's always the next person getting retiring, you know, just like playing, like there's another draft, you know, they're coming for your job. They're doing this. Like I didn't want to be beholden to a contract or to uh, any sort of affiliation to whatever that world looks like. And so that was never really an option. And I didn't want to move anymore and do the real coaching thing that you have to do to willing to move up. You got to be able to move around the country, just like you're playing. So it was basically a culmination of all those things to me looking around the landscape of football and being like, Hey, I think there's a niche here that I think people would be interested in. And basically I just tried to create the channel that I wish existed when I was trying to learn as much ball as I possibly could. And so I always felt like there was information behind the curtain that these, you know, NFL gurus, whatever, insert any word you want to talk about the quarterback position, but really football in general, just through the lens of quarterback and I just wanted to create that. And I thought that I could, and I got a little help 
a lot of help from my brother, who's a cinematographer and who's in the content creation space. And so we basically just tried this thing and it has evolved into a, a pretty fun enterprise for me and now kind of branched off to a bunch of different things, whether it's the Patreon, whether it's courses, uh, there's a bunch of different ways to uh, to get the information. But I, I honestly have just a blast doing it. I get to do football about whatever I want, whenever I want. And uh, it's fun to be part of a little community, too, where you feel like you are giving back and making an impact because football did give me a lot. It really gave me was a trampoline in my life as far as what I'm able to do. And I do feel some level of responsibility to give back to the game, whether it's coaching, whether it's this or whatever. And so it's just been a perfect medium for me as a blend uh, educator, technology, media, all the things that I enjoy into one little sphere of ball. No, it's, I mean, watching your videos, I, I could, I could tell, like, I could just feel like the, the, the love you have for the game and the passion for it. You do seem at ease. You seem really comfortable. Um, the, the, the quality of the video is, is, is fantastic. And, and like I said before, you do a really nice job of just make it just, I mean, essentially dumbing things down for, for people like, you know, myself and Brian here to, to, to really just understand we're, we're fans. We know where we, we stand in, in the grand spectrum of things. Uh, and it's really, really cool that, uh, you know, a, a guy who's been there, you know, who's earned a paycheck in the National Football League uh, and, and has done so much in the world of football, cares enough to, to do that. So we, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And, I, and I'm sure there's millions that, that feel that way um, that watch your channel. Well, I, I appreciate it. I would challenge you and push back a little bit. I don't really I don't, I don't feel like I necessarily dumb it down. I feel like I try to pull it apart enough that That's it fair. can make sense to someone who doesn't do it. Because, you know, if you were to just come to the channel and never watch any part of it, you know, some of it would probably be heavy jargon. That's but if you yeah. get a chance to invest in a little bit of the terminology and how we kind of talk about the position, I think it just tried to some element of just elevating the discourse around the position and not just saying like, he's got a cannon of an arm or, you know, just <laughs> go make a play, you know, things like that, that there is an element of that. But there is also a lot of nuance and a lot of detail that, you know, for whatever reason, is tough to translate through, you know, a live football broadcast or a studio show. You know, I can go as long as I want about whatever I want and go down a rabbit hole, you know, that people who are you know tethered to different time constraints don't necessarily have the capacity to do. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's a fair point. I didn't necessarily dumb it down, but no, I, I get what you're saying. Just explain it. it, it like the terminology, it's, you got me good. Uh, <laughs> the terminology, it's, it's, it is really cool to kind of have a grasp of the terminology and, and listen to broadcast and here are certain things that pick up on it. But, um, but uh, you know, you know, I'm myself, Brian kind of got me into to, to film study. We started trying to hone in on an episode, at least of our show every week uh, on doing it, you know, Brian, would you say, I mean, what, what, why did you want to get into film study? Like, what was your original intention for, for all yeah, this? I mean, the, the game outgrew me. You know, I was never gifted with speed. I was never gifted with the size. I was never gifted with the region even to even pursue football. And it just wasn't in the book for me, right? That wasn't where I was going with my life. But it never stopped being a passion. And so I was always just, you know, on the side watching. And I was like you know, there's got to be a way that I can get a better grasp of what I'm actually watching and, and how all, all 11 players work together and how a play is successful. And that's really what kind of started pushing me. And then I got into college more and the bigger the passion I got in college is like, wow, there's really so many different styles of football. And I was like, all right, well, there's got to be a commonality to all this. And that's when I started finding all the YouTube stuff. And there's so many people that have offered 
you know, their advice or input on how to look at film and things like that. And definitely your channel is one that has made it uh, more commonplace, more uh, digestible for a person who, you know, didn't get to go. I, I mean, I didn't get to play high school. I wasn't good enough to play, you know, JV. That, that's how bad I was, you know, so. <laughs> But I know I always felt like Rudy where I was the guy that like wanted it. I had the heart for it, but I never had the gifts for it. But so that's kind of what driven me to want to learn from people and especially people like you that, you know, pursued it all the way up to the collegiate level. And then were lucky enough to be selected in the draft and have an opportunity to be in the league as long as you were. You know, those are the things that I think that people don't realize that they're actually accessible for us. And you, you can get to a point where, no, you're not 100% positive of what you're seeing, but you can get familiar with it enough that, you know, in any given Sunday, watching with your friends, you feel like you might be a little bit smarter than the rest of the guys. In the room. <laughs> and that, and that's, that's all we got going for us right now. You know what I mean? You just going to be the smartest guy with the beer in his hand. That's all. <laughs> that's a good guy to be. The, uh, I mean, the, the other part of it for me is, you know, I think it does make watching it better, you know, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, even if you're not necessarily like showcasing, like, hey, you got this little nugget of knowledge you can drop on your friends, which is fun in and of itself. But just the enjoyment of understanding what's going on with even more than, you know, the all 22, but the situational football, the games within the games. But so much of football in reality is really at the line of scrimmage yep. and you know, you just can't see it from the broadcast. You can't see it because most people just watch the ball, you know, but when you really pull these things apart and when you analyze stuff, really all analyzing or uh, explaining in great detail, is just pulling things apart to their absolute bare bones and then trying to put them back together in a way that you can make sense of easily. And so to me, it's hard to do from a broadcast, but if you can know what to watch and you're not always centered on the ball, and you can have these little intricate matchups, like what, what exactly is going on at the line of scrimmage or on the back end with the coverage and the shell and the combinations, all those types of things, to me, make it more enjoyable than just kind of watching a bouncing ball like you're watching tennis, you know, just a different element of it. Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, you listed a lot of, you know, detailed things, but like, I mean, aside from that, like, why? So if somebody went up, why should I understand film study or why should I try to grasp the concept of film study? Uh, you know, how, what would you tell them? What, what, what exactly would you explain to them? Well, I mean, I would want to know a little bit about why they're interested in, it. you know, are they interested in it to, cause they're trying to coach it, teach it, right. better understand it, just be a fan, have a better understanding of ball. Cause I think all those things can encompass the next steps. But if it, if it is, you know, all of the above, we'll say, you know, to me, it is about catching on with at least you don't have to have, I always shy away from the term like uh, mentor, but at least resources that you know are available that you can either ping things off or gather more information to give yourself a start. Don't start at ground zero and just be like, hey, I'm just going to watch this all 22 and we're going to figure out what all these people are doing and I'll come up with my own language. Most of this stuff has already been done before. There's a bunch of different ways to say it. And so if you can just gather as much information as possible from a bunch of different sources and realize there's not one way to do it. That's the other part of thing I think about football is, you know, you might have grown up in one town that ran the same system, same youth program, high school program. Then you went to one college and got fortunate enough to play it there. Well, then you all of a sudden you realize there's 
a, a bunch of different ways to call the same exact plays. And if you underline, understand the baseline of ball, whether it's run game, pass protection, coverage, fronts, fits, you know, there's only so many things going on in football, but once you have a baseline understanding, you can really dive into the details of what's the most interesting part for you. You know, whether that's the defensive side of the ball, whether it's pressure, whether it's coverage, whether it's run game, whether it's pass protection, whether it's quarterback play, you know, there's so many deep rabbit holes to go down. And then you put all those together and you realize that, oh, you all of a sudden have a deep understanding of what's going on, but there's no, that's the other thing about it to a certain extent. You've touched on it a little bit kind of sideways, but this idea being that if you're interested in learning more, you know, where the hell do you go? You know, there's not necessarily like a book that teaches you how to film study. Now there are books that will go into detail about scouting and there's probably a book about film study. I don't even know. But the idea being that like, even if there was, the game changes so fast that you don't necessarily, you know, have all the answers in one resource. And so you got to ping all these things together to kind of come up with what works for you. And, you know, for me, fortunate enough to be, I was just around a number of coaches that by pseudo osmosis, you get a bunch of different viewpoints. and got a chance to learn a bunch of offenses but I do think that you've already touched on it. There's a number of resources just free on YouTube where you can hear different people talk about different things. There's clinics available now. You know, you can watch these guys who teach this and coach this at the highest level possible, go out and clinic about the coverages and plays concepts that they run. And so just getting as much quality information as possible and then filtering out to figure out exactly what works for you. Yeah, I definitely found even on Twitter, there's a bunch of, very good follows on Twitter where there's a, a defensive line technique um, Twitter handle where all they show is different clips of college players and, and practice reps and, and how to practice a drill and a specific move as an edge rusher and things like that. So it, it's a, it's evolving. It seems it's growing every, every year. It seems like with the digital age, it's everything's more accessible. And, you know, obviously we understand this recording this episode with you that even, you know, that this without the digital age, this is impossible. You know, we can't reach out and, they, and have one on one conversation with a you know former NFL veteran who, who honestly, the way you paved your career and the way you just kept sticking at it and everything is actually the thing that I want to talk about the most is you started up a teaching clinic in a way with your YouTube channel. Does that stem from your, your way that you kind of bounced around the league and your passion for the game? And you almost became kind of probably like a mentor, I would imagine as you, you know, moved along from team to team It's like you, you're able to move on to a new guy and, and pass on that knowledge. I would imagine. Well, I was definitely the new kid at school a lot. <laughs> I don't know if I was ever necessarily the mentor for it, but uh, there are definitely pieces of how I cobbled together that playing career that translate into the channel. And I think the, one of the main reasons is just the ability to eventually, I was around enough coaches that broke down football to the absolute bare essentials that could translate to any playbook. And so once you learn football from the core essentials, whether that's, you know, five person pass protection, six person pass protection, seven person pass protection, and all the different iterations within those schemes, there's only so many different ways to do it. And so once you understand the principles of that, you don't, it doesn't matter what you call it. So I could go into an offense and apply my baseline understanding of those pass pro concepts and filter their language and be able to play it really quickly. And I think that that definitely helped me catch on if you do that across the entire 
uh, spectrum of the scheme of the book. You know, when you hear guys come into the building and catch on quickly, I think that the faster you do, the faster you can do that, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I certainly had a lot of experience with it. I think the other part that translates specifically for me and the digital content stuff is there is a level of resilience that comes from like getting publicly fired that often. You know, you, you, you understand exactly what you're trying to do. I always knew, hey, I want to suck the absolute bone marrow out of this playing career because once it's over, it's over. You know, I'm not going to come back in five years and try it again. And so I wanted to get the absolute most out of it. And so I really was intentional with putting all my focused effort into maximizing that experience. And that same approach is what I've tried to do with the channel. And it, there's certainly, you know, y'all are in the content creation business to a certain extent. There's, there's nothing worse than creating stuff and feeling like it's not, no one's, you know, watching, listening, you know, enjoying giving feedback. It's not resonating all of the above. And so I was really able to kind of be a little resilient that first year, especially to be like fine tune my process to be like, Hey, I'm going to give myself this amount of time to see what this turns into. And so both those elements are, are really, you know, transferable to what I'm doing now with the channel. Absolutely. Now, now when did film study like really start clicking, like clicking for you? Like when did you like, I mean, you have to do it throughout college uh, and the pros of course, but when did it start clicking for you to maybe invest a little extra time uh, into that film study and prep? Was it with a certain coach, a certain uh, team? Was there anything specific in that? Well, I probably have a unique journey with what I think you're clumping into like film study holistically. Right. For me, film study, you know, encompasses a number of different elements. It comes from the learning part. Like you need to learn your own system. So you have to, when you come into a new place, like say, for instance, when I went to college, I remember sitting down with my position coach and watching the film of that team. So I could learn the scheme and master the scheme. And so that's definitely film study. I think most people refer to film study as like, getting ready for your opponent right. or, you know, if you're in the personnel world, like scouting personnel. And so I kind of went full circle from learning through film to then preparing to play through film. You know, obviously the preparation as far as, you know, situational football, the tendencies of your opponent, et cetera, probably went too far in that world where you potentially are watching maybe too much film, okay. getting kind of a paralysis by analysis type mindset. And then probably, towards the middle of my career found a sweet spot being basically whenever I was watching film and I was playing, I went through kind of a full week cycle of how I wanted to do it. And so there were definitely parts early in the week where I just wanted to get a feel for the opponent. And I still take this approach when I'm coaching, I I still early want to get an overarching feel for what the opponent is personnel uh, identity, what I think that their base looks are in, you know, whatever situational football they want to start, like what's their day one install look like. Uh, And then I'll get into the actual cutups, like specific situational football, you know, first and second down, third down, red zone, fourth down, situational ball, those types of things, film study. And then finally, at the end of the week, I want to go as fast as possible through the film. So I'll go back and watch the whole game and I'll watch it at really essentially fast forward tempo, but without watching the snap. So I'll watch, I'll, I'll try to identify the defense up until the snap. If I need to confirm it post-snap, I'll fast forward through, but I'm not watching the ball. I'm not watching the play. I don't care what the other offense is doing. I'm only trying to get the pattern recognition in my head because, you know, it doesn't matter how great my film study is. If I'm taking all these notes and I've got this grandiose plan, well, when I'm out there playing, all I have is me. 
you know, in my helmet and what's in my head. So I don't, it doesn't matter if I took a bunch of notes, if I can't retain the information, I'm just trying to figure out what I can take to the field to play well. And it's really the same way coaching it's, Hey, we're watching all this film. We've got all these notes. We've got a great plan, but what am I going to remember at halftime when none of this is working? What can we do to make an adjustment for us to go out there and be successful? And so it's that fine sweet spot between definitely being prepared, but also building in the adaptation to know that I'm going to be out there on the sideline or on the field, you know, with my thoughts and my processing capacity and to be able to hold that as the, the number one kind of key element. So when you're uh, watching film, what's the commonality that you notice the most, uh, especially let's just talk professionally. So uh, in the NFL, there's many different styles of offense out there. There's, you know, the, the West coast, You've got the uh, the spread offenses that you see coming out of college, you know that obviously Clinsbury is brought into the NFL and proliferated. Is there any one that you would say that you find to be the most common as far as base play selection and how successful they are in the NFL? Because I've said multiple times to people when talking about how to be successful. And, and it's in my uh, opinion, stemming from, I'm sure a team that you can um, be quite familiar with and found enjoyment in the Niners, you know, the West, the proliferation of the West coast offense stemming from those, you know, mid eighties, early nineties, Niners teams. I think that influenced more offenses in today's game than pretty much any other. Is that something that you've ever noticed or thought about? Uh, I mean, I, I probably thought about it on a surface level. The I would say that I don't necessarily pigeonhole it to say like rank it like, okay, West Coast is by far the most dominant used right now. I really think that the best offenses take the are really kind of combinations, amalgamations of uh, all those offenses. So elements of spread, yeah. you know, elements of uh, RPO, elements of heavy play action, elements of air raid. And I think you can see that in, you know, I think of it more uh, maybe from a different lens as far as when I think different offenses, I don't really care what they call their plays. Like if they use West Coast terminology, I'm looking for more of like, what are, what is their identity scheme wise? Are they a zone running team? You know, are they running wide zone? Like, you know, the 49ers and the Rams and that tree of coaches, or are they more gap oriented? Are they running power? You know, are they trying to get downhill? like those types of man types of run schemes. And then off that, are they more spready or are they more play action chunk? You know, how do they throw the ball naturally? What's the quarterback most comfortable doing? And so how those things are packaged together to me is a little bit more interesting than necessarily saying like, Hey, you know, I don't think a whole lot of teams are running true old school West coast, like the Niners in the eighties, you know, they're just not, you know, you don't see any of those formations anymore with those two backs and the quarterback under center. They're all kind of blurred, you know, shotgun run, quarterback run game, play action under center, move the pocket, move the launch point, you know, different ways to take advantage of what that looks like. And to me, I think that's the most exciting part. Everybody has the same plays, especially in the league. You want to talk about the league now, damn near everybody has the same plays. They certainly have access to all the same information. And so what you choose to do with your personnel and their strengths is really the sweet spot offensively. Now, that goes without saying that you have to have the personnel to do it, right? Like no one's going to be successful in the league without a quarterback and a strong franchise quarterback. But let's just assume that the baseline is there. It's all kind of that interesting, like, you know, what are they doing? Where's their identity? Are they an RPO team? 
Are they a wide zone team? Because all those things take significant amount of time. You know, you are what you spend your time doing. If we could go look at the practice schedule for all these teams, we could tell really quickly, like, what is their identity as far as what type of running team are they? What type of passing team are they? Where can they hang their hat as far as their talent? Or are they in scramble mode? You know, and they don't have anybody at anything. And then it's a cluster garbage can dumpster fire, which we're seeing, you know, today with all sorts of, you know, hirings and fires. No doubt, no doubt. Now back to you know watching the, the the film aspect. For some of our listeners who aren't super familiar with the you know with the the con you know just the concept or, or just doing it. Period. Uh, do you have steps that you look at when when I mean you do a lot of obviously play breakdowns for YouTube and Patreon. Um, do you have like steps? Do you do like a step by step thing as far as how you watch it? Like maybe okay, the defense is 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 in this this game personnel wise. What? How do you, how do you layer that if you do? Ooh, that's an excellent question. And I know a great website that offers a free <laughs> film guide available. I will try to do it off the top of my head. Uh, I, I think it depends on why I'm doing it. First of all, you know, if I'm doing it just for the channel, I'll bounce around and do whatever. If I'm doing it to play, you know, to me, quarterback wise is so much of it is based off what the shell of the defense is. So that means what the, you know, safety roof is doing. And most oftentimes that's open, closed uh, type of mindset as far as what those safeties are doing. From there, uh, playing wise, I was always interested. Yeah. Does this look like pressure? You know, if there's pressure, I want to know about it immediately because I want to make sure that I'm sound or I know where I'm hot or I know what my sight adjust issues are based on the protection. And then it will go to, you know, what's a cover, what's going on in the perimeter? You know, do I have a matchup issue? What's a corner? Is it pressed? Is it off? And then maybe at the end of the day, you know, depending on if it's prevalent, you know, what's the front, you know, sometimes it really matters for the quarterback. If you're identifying the mic every single play, you certainly need to know what the front is, but there's a lot of teams that don't make you do that. And so it doesn't matter if it's, you know, odd, even over under, but as far as if I'm coaching, I certainly want to know uh, it's basically the opposite. I really start with how they're setting their front. You know, if I can tell which way they're setting their front, either to the strength, to the field, to the boundary, uh, to our strength, to our passing strength, those types of things then dictate usually what's going on in the back end as far as the coverage. And so for me, it's, it's, it's really dependent on, you know, what the role is that I'm watching the film, if at all. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Um, I want to get a little more, I guess, um, not not as much behind the the curtain kind of with you. Let's, let's go more surface level what coach do you think influenced you the most in your career? Oh, I mean, definitely my father growing up, you know, he was coaching me. He was my youth coach, you know, up until probably high school and damn near everything, whether assistant coach or manager or whatever. And so certainly his approach to the game to basically all athletics, he loved baseball as much as anything. And so the thing that I took from him and that I tried to install with my kids is not necessarily to push them to any one sport, but he was always available. So he used to say, if you want to go practice anything, I'll go practice it with you. So he could barely throw a football, but we'd go out there and he'd catch and catch spots for me and, you know, do that for years. You know, he'd go out there and throw batting practice. He'd go, you know, shag rebounds for me. And so that aspect of just being available to do whatever they want to do while promoting athletics, I think was one of the most important things about uh, that relationship for me with my pops and athletics from actual football coaches. 
I got really lucky, man. I, I had a bunch of great coaches along the entire way. I'm sure most people who are, have a fortunate enough to have a long career in football will say similar stuff. Uh, my high school coach was a quarterback uh, at the same university that I went to. So I went to a division two school in Northern California, UC Davis. So he was a Davis quarterback. And then my college coach was a Davis quarterback. So we had, I basically had nine years of quarterback coaching from the same uh, tree and ran the same basically scheme for nine years of my first like real competitive ball from there in the league. I really had two main influences. I would say uh, Mike McCarthy was my offense coordinator the first three years in the league with the new Orleans at the time. Uh, He certainly taught me pro ball at the, at that level and the kind of detail and volume that goes in with the level of preparation, whether it's scheme, uh, et cetera, play calling, all those types of things about, you know, playing quarterback at that level. And then the guy who gave me my second really like phase of my career was Mike Martz. And Mike's got a unique reputation as being a bit of a mad scientist. And there certainly are elements of that, that I think he intentionally plays up, but he's a very sharp guy. Both those guys are, are very sharp. And, uh, you know, they taught me a great deal about not only playing the position, but what the role looks like in the locker room, what the role looks like for an organization, what that role looks like as far as setting yourself up to do whatever you want to do afterwards. And so just trying to soak up as much information, whether it was, you know, direct or whether he was maybe coaching through someone else or coaching a coach, all of those things to me, I try to just act as a sponge because you are around so many great players. You know, that's not discounting, you know, I was with New England for a couple months and you, you know, you get a chance to sit in a team room with Bill Belichick, you know, those are magical, you know, scary moments for, for a lot of people. And so, you know, you try to take what can be applicable to you and your understanding of ball and whatever you do with it next. But, you know, when I'm coaching a high school team, am I trying to beat Bill Belichick? You know, hell no, you know, they, they, you know, you got to find that sweet spot for what works for you, but to say that you're not going to learn everything you possibly could from those experiences you know, you're, you're missing the boat probably a little bit, but I got really lucky with those two, uh, Mike Martz and Mike McCarthy, for sure. On the same token, was there any players that kind of helped guide you along the way? I mean, you were in quite a few quarterback rooms, uh, you know, with with some, I mean, very talented, talented people. Uh, The NFL sometimes gives out this vibe of like, it's a dog, you know, got to protect my job in a sense, but at least from the outside looking in, but um, did you have any that really helped you guide, uh, help guide the way for you? Yeah. Yeah. And it is, (laughs) don't get it twisted. It is. Uh, But it's also, there's also a lot of really good humans and people. And so uh, probably the one that made the biggest impact for me was a guy named Jake DeLome. Uh, He was, if you know, Jake at all, the, uh, he was the number two when I was in new Orleans drafted there. And so he was the backup the first year. Then he went to Carolina, went to Super Bowl, et cetera, but a great dude, good old boy uh, really taught me, how to learn NFL offense with that offense when we were in New Orleans and uh, just did a great job of just being a good human. You know, we were, you know, essentially competing for snaps, but I wasn't going to take his job that year, but you know, we're we're all playing the same position. There's only one out there. So I do get that element of it. And, but he was always, you know, first class. And that's always how I tried to model it. I was probably never as good a player as he was certainly didn't get to the Super Bowl, those types of things. But the idea of just how he treated everyone in the building, you know, from, hey, you need to make sure that you meet the equipment guy the first day that you come in. You know, you need to take care of the equipment people, the managers. You need to take care of the trainers. You need to take care of the ball boys. You know, stuff like that, that as a Division two guy, I was like, what? You got, we got ball boys? You know, like, what? Like, it's just different. 
And so that certainly was there. I think the other guy that jumps to the forefront, there, there were a bunch of them, but the other guy that jumps to the forefront was Brad Johnson. Uh, uh, yeah. Brad's the bull is a, he's a good dude. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you'd love that. He, he's got some serious trick shots that he uh, is pretty good at. He's a great competitor too. I got some unbelievable bull competitor stories, but he, uh, he was another guy that I just really admired how he interacted with people. Now I certainly loved how he played the game too. He was a big time capital A anticipation guy. He would let that ball go early. I always appreciated that. Felt like I could, you know, take some of that to my game and just enjoyed watching how he went about it because he was a true kind of pros pro, but a uh, quirky all at the same time, like totally authentically himself. And I, I love that part of it. It feels a little um when you when you're talking about him feels a little like Fitzpatrick in my opinion like you know may, maybe not necessarily the most gifted of all the passers but it, high level processing skills. Yeah, I don't know. I ne- I followed Fitzpatrick a few different places. We never overlapped anywhere. I, I will say this about the bull and this good this uh, you know no offense to Ryan I don't know him at all yeah. but I will say that. To me, another element of quarterbacking in the league that I always look at is, and this is really any player, is do you elevate the room? Sure. Okay, so like do the other players, when they get an opportunity to play, are they better because of you? Right. And, you know, that's not the case for many people. And it is, we, you, you acknowledge the cutthroat element of it, and that's the truth. I think I would hope that, you know, not that I had a significant amount to do with most of the rooms that I was with, but I always tried to elevate the room. And I got that from Brad. And if you look across the landscape of the league, you know, that's not always the case. And, you know, sometimes you have to kind of read between the lines. But if you look across and follow certain people's careers about, you know, have those, has that always been the case? Or have they always kind of not necessarily go out there and do enough to get to the next contract, but are they, are they elevating the position, the offense, the side of the ball, the organization, all in the right direction? That was something that I really took from the bull, from Brad Johnson and Jake to be able to kind of use as a model. Now I got to ask you, I because just a little fanboy thing for me. Philip Rivers is one of my favorite players of all time, and I know you did. Uh, he is. He just straight up is. I know you spent some time with with, with the Chargers. Uh, I got to know what was he like. Uh, if if you had many interactions with him, what was he like? He's exactly like you would think he is. He's he's the same dude all the time. He never stops that. doing that. Uh, he's he, he would probably. Uh, <laughs> he's probably more competitive than I probably would have get. I mean, obviously <laughs> everyone's competitive, right? But he does. I, I, I will say for a long time in the league, there was, I would say a pock, a number of quarterbacks that maybe the other quarterbacks weren't necessarily huge fans of, you know, you could probably like, it w- wouldn't be that hard to figure out what that list looked like. And I think for many guys in the league, I don't want to speak for many, but I will say just the perception looking outside in Philip was one of those guys for me, just because I remember watching him like jaw, with Jay Cutler, like on the sideline and just was like, and it was like, and it was just like, it was just, it was just weird. It just wasn't like, it it just wasn't like anything else you were seeing at that time in the league. Right. And so it was just like, you know, what is this guy's like a cornball? He doesn't swear. Like, what's up with this? Like, is this a facade? He's got 10 kids, you know, like what's the deal here? And like, and then getting out there and getting a chance to work with him and see him operate. First of all, he's a monster. He's big. He's huge. Uh, The next thing is he spins it. And he yeah. doesn't, he, you know, he's, a, it's, it's not the cleanest motion by any means, but the way he spins it and what he does with the ball and the ball control and the way it comes out and his understanding and his mastery of what we were doing with what Norv was running out there was as good as I've ever seen. His preparation 
was world-class. His relationship with Nick Hardwick, the center out there, how we would meet quarterbacks and centers and they, how they would work together to solve problems at the line of scrimmage, as good as I've ever seen. I, when I was there for, shoot, half of a season, we were never hot. There were, it, they, they did not throw hot. Right. They, they didn't talk about it because he and Nick could solve it at the line of scrimmage. It was just, it was, I just didn't, it, it didn't register because I wasn't used to operating like that. I was like, this is a different model than I'm used to processing, but these guys could handle it and do it at a really high level. And it was just fun to see. And he, he totally, you know, exceeded all expectations, preconceived ideas that I came in there with. I think he's just a world-class dude. And, uh, you know, that makes me happy. That makes me happy there. I had, I had to take a shot at that one. I had to know for, for sure. Cause yeah, you know, like you said, everybody has their different opinions on him. Yeah. I, I still, one of my favorite ones to hit the, the nine, what, 90, not something yards. He's yelling at and right in the Jaguars players face. And, and it just, it, he was amazing. I, I, I miss watching him play. That's for sure. Um, yeah. So Brian, you got anything to hit? Sorry. I'm I'm just caught up at the moment. Brian, you got, uh, you got, you got something. I, I just want to pile on to just what was your favorite team to play for favorite season? Maybe. Ooh, favorite season. Uh, my favorite season was probably the 2009 Bengals, which is a interesting year. But the uh, we won the division. We went six and zero in the division. Uh, I think that was that might have been the Hard Knocks year. I forget what year it was Hard Knocks. Oh nine or ten. Uh, but it was it was really just for me. It was a sweet spot career wise because. Uh, I really enjoyed the dudes on that team. I don't no offense to Cincinnati, you know, the other Sin City, it's not, you know, I obviously don't love it. I don't live there right now, right. but I enjoyed my time there. I was lived in a cool spot. Uh, all the guys on the team felt like we were all kind of in the same spot life-wise, you know, like young families. Uh, you know, there were certainly dudes still running the town, having a good time, but the vast majority of us felt like we were on the more mature side of, of the life cycle of the league and just enjoyed each other. I enjoyed that locker room. I enjoyed that quarterback room with the Palmer brothers. And it was just a, you know, it obviously helps to win always, but it was uh, that was probably my favorite full year experience as far as group of guys and, and winning and having a good time. Then we got smoked twice by the jets to finish the season, but you know, Revis, Revis Island, Revis Island was, was hard one to, to learn. Yeah. Yeah, those are some really, really good Jets teams. Uh, now, looking back, you know, I mean, you're obviously still a fan now. You're still watching. What's the biggest difference? Because uh, you've been out of the NFL, I think, what, 10 years at this point, uh, roughly sure. or so? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the biggest change in, in style that you see currently? You know, maybe do some new terminology or new, um, you know, we got Patrick Mahomes throwing passes across his body and it's, you know, no look passes and stuff. Uh, is there like a massive shift in how the game is played compared to what it was 10 years ago? For sure. I mean, uh, yes and no. So like a good example is, you know, I, I was in green Bay for a while and Brett Favre used to throw no look passes every single day. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't throw them a lot in the game, but he certainly did throw some in the game because he would celebrate and let you know about it. <laughs> but he was, you know, those types of things are, aren't new that I think the way that the quarterback is protected uh, has changed the game. And so you can get away with a lot of those, you know, acrobatic throws across your body because you're not worried about, you know, getting smoked sideways or right. leaving that ball high and, you know, having your receiver get decapitated, you know, the, the target zone for all the hitting 
and all the safety elements, which in my opinion is very good, but it has changed the game. And it's, and it's allowed for a little bit looser, more open of a game that certainly is offensive friendly. And so I think that all those things uh, make the game different, but at the core elements, uh, at the end of the day, they're still the same. You know, it's still, you know, blocking, tackling, protecting the football, being smart, being explosive on the perimeter, uh, all those types of things that go into playing football at a really high level. But man, yeah, do I wish I could play nowadays? Hell yeah, I wish I, you know, when I would throw it across my body, I'd get, you know, MF'd for the next, you know, two weeks. Or now, you know, you feel like you You're on goes, Sports Center, you know, top ten. Yeah, yeah right. All, it's all it's and it's everybody too. It's not just Patrick Mahomes, it's everybody wow. doing it because nice. they're 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 taking advantage of space and you know the rigid element of the old school dogma about you know must happen like this, must happen like that. Uh, has evolved and i you know similar to how the rpo has come into the game you know yeah. it's just it's stretched defenses horizontally vertically in new ways and created new stress and new space to be able for have offenses attack and so it's a i don't the, the other part about it is you know now with all these great athletes playing quarterback uh some of us might not have been you know good enough athletes to play quarterback if we started <laughs> nowadays so sure, sure. <laughs> sweet spot as far as timing <laughs> <laughs> do, yeah, do you have any the, the, oh. the, RP the RPO offense is, is definitely this, the thing in the NFL that I think is um, the, the weirdest when you think back 30, 40 years ago, like the 85 Bears, how would they have dealt with an RPO offense? You know what I mean? You're, you're running and you're trying to run straight forward and you're bringing all this pressure up to a gaps and dudes just stepping back and slinging it out to the sidelines, you know, every play just to avoid the rush. It's, it's such an effective way of offenses to operate. And it, I wonder where league would have been if this could have been adopted earlier. Like if when I, well, a player that I think of that gets hyped up because of his name is Tim Tebow. But if you would have brought more elements of what he did in college in earlier, who knows, right? I mean, it's a lot of those things. I, I think about college and, and the different things you can bring in. I'm not saying Tebow becomes the superstar. <laughs> I'm just saying that it, it's interesting to see how some of these things they brought in from college have just dominated. Like Lamar Jackson's an MVP because of it, you know? So a lot of yeah, those no, things is what I think about. I think you're right. I think it would be hard for a guy. I don't want to pile on Tebow, but he just didn't, he doesn't throw it well enough. You know, that's the reality when you condense the hashes and, you know, and you go to six yard hashes as opposed to college hashes, it makes every throw kind of medium difficulty. You know, there is no short boundary side throw that you can just flip it out there. Yep. Uh, certainly the RPO thing has, you know, created different stresses on a defense. You know, I, one of the ways, I, probably the easiest way to beat RPO teams is to do what the old school bears used to do and just say, Hey, we're going to load the box. We're going to play man on the outside and give you two middle fingers and you better see if you can beat us. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I, I think it's a lot harder nowadays because the game is so much wider. You know, there's it's not as much, you know, everybody in a phone booth. It's the spread element that if you miss a tackle in space, it's a first down. If you miss two tackles, it's to the house. And, uh, you know, at the lower levels of football, you know, you see so many more big plays nowadays, or even in the league, you see more probably big plays than normal just because the space is so much uh, it's such a premium nowadays, as opposed to thinking back in the day, maybe when I first came in the league where it was, you know, I right, you know, downhill, 
lead. You know, you're just not going to do that anymore because there's more efficient ways to attack a defense. And I think it's a combination of metrics, analytics, uh, playmakers, rule changes, uh, all of the above to make that make the game. I think the game is a hell of a lot better and more fun to watch. Absolutely. That's cover zero, all out blitz right up the A gap with the double fingers going to the double birds. The, the Eli Manning birds coming out at you. Oh, J, JT loves cover zero. That's his favorite. That's his favorite defense to play against. He said it. Hey, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we we've shown the positives of those and the negatives of those. Like we've shown how like, wow, defense created a turnover just by doing this. And then at the same time, oh, wow, we showed an offense or our defenses get completely torched by it. Oh, absolutely. Nobody over top. So absolutely. Live and die. They yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, Brian, I want to give you an opportunity. If you had anything else to ask for, I'm pretty, I'm pretty satisfied on my end, my man. Uh, if you got any more questions for him. Yeah. The only other thing I uh, have to ask is, uh, did you know about the mascot change when you left college? Do you know this? When you left UC Davis, do you, do you, do you know about the mascot change? What's the mascot change? Okay, so- I mean, I- so what's what's an Aggie? <laughs> it, short for agriculture, right? It's a nickname yeah. for agriculture. Okay. I, I did get that. Uh, okay. I, I saw that when you were playing there, they had a mascot named Ollie. Do you remember that Ollie the Mustang? Okay, sort of. I, I remember I, I like a I remember like a blue horse. Yes. So yeah. I, back in the day, they had a real horse, and it, when you were in college, they the mascot's name was Ollie, and I was going to see if you knew what they changed the name to. No, I think they went old school. They like reverted back to the old, old school logo now. So. Yeah, he does know. I wasn't sure. I was like, I yeah, know. no, I'm not. I, I need, I need some new gear. So. <laughs> Hook them up. Uh, Hook them up. I, do, I host a um, draft sh- podcast and we're going to be gearing up kind of soon here. And I wanted to just get your, um, just a quick backstory on what it was like going through that whole process being division two, you know, maybe not knowing exactly where your life was going to lead you, but just real a quick synopsis of what that felt like. Cause I don't want to give up this opportunity of having someone that, you know, went, went the hard way. You had the hard road and I love that. Those are my favorite stories. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was a, a combination of a number of different things. So yeah, division two, non-scholarship, uh, got a chance to have a great college career for a really storied program. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, I realized that there's a good chance that I'm going to be drafted and uh, kind of prepared for it my entire senior year, you know, for, for what that looks like, just as far as seeing what the grades were coming into that year. And then basically going through the process of, you know, finding an agent, interviewing agents, uh, training for the combine, going to the combine, playing in all-star games. And that was before really you know, you, you had kind of these gurus in the space as far as dudes like Jordan Palmer guys, like you could go and like, kind of like uh, do the full encompass camp thing that to prepare for your pro day. Didn't really have that just kind of train for the combine and uh, train for the pro day and just try to do your absolute best. It's certainly a surreal process going to Indy for the, uh, for the combine and what that looks like as far as the, uh, yeah, I went from the (laughs) hotel to the old stadium. (laughs) but oh, just yeah, RCA it, dome. yeah yeah it's an intense process and it was fun it was stimulating i remember i couldn't sleep at the combine just because you're so jacked up on you know you just got done i remember sitting in a room i sat on the round table with i want to say bill parcells john gruden 
uh, Sean Payton. It was a round table of like, just, I remember thinking like, God, these guys are all great. And they're peppering me with questions like how to read stick, you know, just stuff I can't imagine they care about. But the, (laughs) (laughs) it was just, it, it was surreal. And then to actually get drafted, it was great. But, you know, unless you're the first pick, you're going to be pissed. You know, and I was, I had 185 reasons to be pissed, you know, for not that I thought I deserved to be the number one pick, but I certainly thought I was better than some of the guys that got drafted ahead of me. Right. And so, you know, making sense of that and just seeing dollar signs, you know, like click away, you know, as you get lower and lower and those are real life implications. And uh, so that part of it, but then the other part of it that I think is really important that I always tell guys that are going through the process, there's a bunch of guys going through it right now. The drafted part is just the first part. Like, yeah, it's a great experience. Like it's a one day celebration or two day celebration for you. But then the real work comes. Like you're trying to take a grown man's job, probably someone who's really good at their job. And you are the new person and you are, have never done this before. And so it's a, it's a different mentality. And so I always felt that I, you know, use that time to celebrate for a hot second and then really jump right into it, two feet into making sure that this thing wasn't a, you know, a one camp wonder that I wanted to get a decade out of this thing and, and do exactly what I needed to. And so there's a fine line between celebrating it, but also realizing that it's the first step. It is really the first step in a long journey, hopefully. And so I think that that always helps to have that approach. I love hearing the chips. I love hearing about people of the, you know, like they're so pissed off. Uh, historically, Everybody is. Yeah. <laughs> Drew Brees went on the Dan Patrick show a couple of years ago in the lead up to the Super Bowl and went on and they read off his negative scouting reports, all the reasons why he sucks. And (laughs) he took that piece of paper that Dan was reading off of for the interview. And he asked, he's guy, take that. He goes, yeah, go ahead. And he took it and he like, he keeps it somewhere. You know, obviously now he's retired, so he don't care, but I'm thinking about that. I'm like, the dude, the dude's the most prolific passer in the NFL, and he's still finding motivation. And so it's cool to hear that. Um, where were you when you were drafted? What do you, do you remember? Yeah, I was in my college apartment with my parents. I was pissed. Uh, I had actually just woken up from a nap. I, I had to go to sleep. I was just like, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle watching any more of these guys get drafted ahead of me. And so I just went in my room by myself fell asleep for a second and then got woken up from a call from the saints. And, uh, no, it was glad it was over. You yeah. had to put up with the all day affair. You didn't, you didn't get to have it broken up. Oh, uh, it was two days, but it was like, it was, it was, I think it was the first through third rounds and then fourth through whatever. And sense. I was this, I was the sixth round. So it felt like I was through like a 15 round fight. You know, I was just, uh, I was ready to, I was ready to move on, but, hey, uh, but I did want to celebrate and I was, yeah, I was glad I, yeah, I was just exhausted you know, just the whole process at that point. That's awesome. It, it, the way that you just like, even the little like negative things, you know, as part of the story. Sure. Like things are like, you know, like you got annoyed because you're not being, I, I feel that that's me. <laughs> Although I, don't, I don't get drafted at the end of the story. And I don't have a, <laughs> a long-tenure career. No. That's the biggest difference. <laughs> Well, JT, man, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Man. We had a blast. We learned a ton, you know, from you. This is a good time. Seriously, we don't get to talk to, you know, uh, people who've earned a paycheck in the National Football League very often. It's 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 really cool. L- again, love the channel. I- I'm subscribed to the Patreon. I've never regretted spending money on it. It's wonderful. Uh, for our listeners who, you know, aren't familiar with with your, you know, your your brand, they should be. Where could they find you at? 
Uh, I definitely channel people through the, the YouTube channel, uh, the quarterback school, but then uh, I try to stay active on Twitter. Uh, I think I actually just changed my name on Twitter. What the hell is it? It's the quarterback school. I used to have a bunch of ridiculous underscores through it. <laughs> Frustrating. Uh, and then, uh, and then I do the Patreon community, which is kind of a deep dive, try to create the environment of what it's like in an NFL quarterback room. And then finally, the thing that I'm having more fun with than almost anything are the courses and just trying to create courses for really deep dives on things that I really want to give back to that quarterback community that I can't get across in a, you know, in a simple one-off video. So have a handful of different courses, uh, RPO, pass protection, tempos, uh, how to beat every coverage course. And now I'm putting together a full offense. So pretty excited to share what we've been running at the high school level that I think will be really transferable, you know, across a bunch of different levels of football. Very cool. We're looking forward to it. Yes. Listeners, please go check it out. It is well, well, well worth your time and, uh, and your dollar. JT, once again, thank you so much, man. It was a blast and uh, we're all wrapped up here. Listeners, thank you so much. And on behalf of JT, Brian, and I, till next time, the two-point conversation is good. Three, nine, three. Three, nine, three.